Welcome back, everyone, to part two of Free Agent Frenzy. So, the mighty Bills of Buffalo. No one wants to go there unless you're a super old running back. <laughs> Frank Gore signs with the Buffalo Bills. They already have LaShawn McCoy, who's in his 30s and struggled last year, as most 30-year-old running backs do. So, what are the Bills doing getting Frank Gore? I was surprised, honestly, that they didn't sign Adrian Peterson as well. Well, people have been asking that question of what are the Bills doing for a number of years. Now, they made the playoffs two years ago with Tyrod Taylor and LaShawn McCoy. But, to be honest, I I, I can't see where where... What is the science here? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. You're signing a, what, 34-year-old running back? Yeah. Isn't that how old he's going to be when the season starts? LaShawn McCoy is 32, if I'm not mistaken. So Frank Gore is 35. 35! Oh, I actually understated his age, which is always a good thing to do when you're talking about running backs, uh, unless your name is Miguel Tejada. Oh, and Shady McCoy is only 30. He just looks like a 32-year-old. Oh, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. All right, Shady McCoy, you're only 30 years old. But luckily, the statistics never show that running backs depreciate after 30. Insert name, Richard Mendenhall. <laughs> so uh, the Buffalo Bills, to answer your question, I, I have no answer as to what they're doing. I mean, Scott McDermott... What are you thinking? Is 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 Frank Gore an upgrade from LaShawn McCoy? Is he supposed to bring experience and leadership to a backfield that already has a 30-year-old running back? Or is this a sign that you're going to move on from LaShawn McCoy's contract, maybe, who's in the later part of its years, and maybe you go out and draft somebody that Frank Gore can tutelage? Maybe that's the goal. I'm not sure. I haven't uh, rolled the bones and seen what the future is in the reeds, but it, it doesn't seem likely that both of these running backs are going to be on the roster at the end. Maybe Frank Gore gets cut in preseason. Who knows? And maybe this is a complete non-story. He was signed to what? Like a one-year, $4 million deal? $2 million? So it's not that much money, but it's just it's it's the concept that people are running. Like Buffalo in right now, I mean, they're running headlines that Frank Gore is coming to Buffalo, but they're not running headlines that any other major free agent is coming to Buffalo. That's the problem. So what are they thinking? I can't answer that. I, I wouldn't make the decision to do that if, if I was the GM, if I was the coach. But then again, that's, that's why I'm sitting here talking to you guys because I'm, I'm not them. Fair enough. So the Bills have a problem with skill position players. So they bring in Frank Gore. They did trade for Kelvin Benjamin and then cut Kelvin Benjamin. And so they needed more running backs, or not running backs, wide receivers. And so they go out and sign John Brown and Cole Beasley. Now, uh, Cole Beasley, I, I can understand, is a good, a good position pickup for Josh Allen. Uh, he can be that kind of check down Charlie type. John Brown is more of a deep threat. Maybe they're trying to develop Josh Allen's game. Um, but I was really, I, I wasn't quite sure 
why they were letting Charles Clay leave. Because mm. Charles Clay was already in that he was a good run blocker, but he was a good check down guy uh, for a quarterback. And if, if anybody knows this, uh, for a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback, a tight end is your security blanket. I mean, when you enter the league, you are Linus, and you need something that's just going to make you feel good. And Charles Clay was that guy. But the problem is, now Charles Clay is going to be catching passes from Josh Rosen if he can stay healthy. So maybe Cole Beasley kind of fits into that situation of being that check down guy. But, I mean, at least they're adding weapons. At least they're adding weapons with Beasley and Brown. Besides, Josh Allen just wants to run on every play anyway. Absolutely. I mean, the guy, the only guy that was running more than Cole B, uh, Josh Allen last year was Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Who Lamar Jackson came in billed as a run first quarterback. <laughs> yeah. And going into the draft, all we heard was Josh Allen and his mighty arm that he could throw across the cornfields of Wyoming and wherever. But which, which was odd because going into the draft, everybody was saying how Josh Allen was the most pocket passer quarterback. He was the guy that was going to be that statue in the middle of the line that whether he throws the ball deep, throws the ball short, or gets sacked, He's going to be hanging on to the ball. And as it turns out, he I'm pretty sure by the numbers, he actually had about seven rushing attempts a game, <laughs> which is not what you want your quarterback to do because sometimes they end up like RG3. But he didn't have anyone to throw to because Zay Jones became a real bust as a wide receiver. Ah, Zay Jones was always a real bust. <laughs> Second round pick, a guy who looked good going out of college and never turned out, I guess. But it's year three. Maybe this will be it. Doesn't everybody that goes to the combine and comes out of college look really good? And then they put on an NFL helmet and, well, we kind of decide very quickly who the men and who the boys are. And speaking of men, we got Nick Foles making money again. Nick Foles making $84 million, and actually, after, what, what are they called, incentives, uh, he can actually make up to $102 million. Which Seems like a lot of dollars. Nobody, nobody cares about that except for his uh, uh, bank account with Merrill Lynch. But, Nick Foles, I want to ask you a question here, Shem. Is this a good move for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Have they finally solved their quarterback woes that have plagued them since, I mean, Mark Brunel? I figured that Nick Foles was going to go to Jacksonville. That was my pick very, very early on. Agreed. When the playoffs were happening. Now, we also know what Nick Foles has done when he's been given the opportunity to start before where he is a guy who could throw four seven touchdowns in a game and also be so bad that he gets traded to the Rams and then promptly cut and then looks like he's going to be out of the league and then he ends up back in Philly. And Philly really did set up an entire offense for him where he could just get the ball and check down, check down, check down, check down, Zacherts, 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 Trayburn, Trayburn. 
And so... Whoa, you forgot <laughs> Dallas Goddard, okay. Dallas Goddard, this last go-around and, and company. And so my fear for him going to Jacksonville is that they don't have those type of guys who can be your check-down man. Marquise Lee is coming off an injury. D.D. Westbrook is a guy who was, once again, very talented at Oklahoma and has certainly shown flashes in the NFL, but he just hasn't done everything that he... Maybe his potential is. And so one question going forward is, what does Jacksonville do with number seven? If a person like Dwayne Haskins were to be there, would they pick Dwayne Haskins and hedge their bets? Now, I don't think that Dwayne Haskins will be there. I don't think Dwayne Haskins will make it past the Giants at number six. But I actually think that Jacksonville would be willing to draft a guy like TJ Hawkinson at number seven to give Nick Foles more of a security blanket. See, I would go with the same position. Uh, I was just about to say that. I wasn't sure you were going to say TJ Hawkinson. But TJ Hawkinson does two things. He doesn't just provide a security blanket for Nick Foles, but clearly Jacksonville is playing the kind of football where you play staunch defense and you run the ball. And occasionally, whenever you have to, you throw the ball with Nick Foles. You throw the ball with Blake Bortles, which TJ Hawkinson helps you in two regards. Not just the passing game, but he is a very good run blocker for Leonard Fournette in the future. So if Leonard Fournette still stays in Jacksonville. Oh, you shut that down. <laughs> of course they're going to hang on to Leonard Fournette. They need Leonard Fournette because who else are they going to play? Nobody? All right, Leonard Fournette is the guy. Let's just hang on to him for the time being. TJ Hawkinson does make a lot of sense because he helps you in both regards, like I said. It doesn't make sense that they go for a quarterback because they we just said, you just paid $84 million for a quarterback. You don't spend four years and that much money over a quarterback where you're going to hedge your bets. You can't do that. That'd be like last year where the Minnesota Vikings got Kirk Cousins, but they're going to say, uh, we're not quite sure. We're also going to draft Sam Darnold. Because we don't quite believe that Captain Kirk is the guy. No, 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 no. Jacksonville has their guy in Nick Foles. Whether he turns out good or not, that's that waits to be seen. But as far as what you're saying is to somebody who's going to benefit from Nick Foles, where he likes that check down, my money's on Marquise Lee. I'm not quite sure on DK uh, Westbrook. I'm not quite sure on uh, Dante Moncrief, who are wide receivers for Jacksonville, but Marquise Lee last year had an injury early in the preseason, but he's kind of that slot receiver type. I think he's going to benefit a lot like Nelson Aguilar did when Nick Foles came in and be kind of that check down guy. Maybe they end up getting like a run catching uh, running back in the draft. But I think he's the guy that benefits the most from this. But TJ Hawkinson would make a lot of sense at that number seven position in the draft. So I'm going to mention this because we talked about it last week. Adam Humphrey signs with the Tennessee Titans. I was hoping he would be a Denver Bronco. He is not going to be a Denver Bronco. No, no, no. Adam Humphreys is gone. He's going to be catching passes from Marcus Mariota or whoever backs up Marcus Mariota when he inevitably gets injured again. Tennessee, 
That could be a solid Ryan Tannehill, Blake Bortles destination. Quite possibly, quite possibly. I'm not quite sure that uh, um, Tennessee is entirely committed to Marcus Mariota long term. I would assume that they are because they picked up his fifth year option from his rookie deal. But I don't know. Mariota has a hard time staying on the field. So it would beg to question whether they're going to bring in maybe a veteran free agent. Even a Ryan Fitzpatrick type. Do you think that he's not going to stay in uh, Tampa Bay? I think that Fitzmagic will be on the move. (laughs) Oh, Fitzmagic on the move again. What is this going to be? His ninth, tenth team? He's trying to make sure he's on every roster before he retires. He's going to have to play 32 years to do this, (laughs) and hopefully he never quarterbacks the Denver Broncos. Eh, Well, fair enough. We talked about a reunion story. Now we have to talk about a nasty divorce. When I say nasty, it was more, this player says, hey, I'm not coming back, and they let him walk. And that's Uh, Terrell Sucks. Oh, I thought you were talking about Brad Pitt and Jennifer Lopez again. No, 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 not this time. Oh, my goodness. Terrell Owen, or Terrell Suggs. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm going way too far back now. (laughs) Terrell Suggs. In fact, in the... Uh, practice podcast that you've referred to before that we had uh, last week. Terrell Suggs, I was about to make a prediction that he cannot... Don't knock your computer down. Let's not do that. I was going to make the prediction that Terrell Suggs could not leave the Baltimore Ravens because he had been there for so many years. He's a part of the fabric and DNA of the team. But, well... Now he's going to Arizona, so I don't know what to believe anymore. The world is upside down. But how about another one I'll put back at you? How about Cameron Wake moving on from the Miami Dolphins? Cam Wake, who had been there for a real long time. What was it, 14 years? Yeah, forever. And he was a guy that got started a little bit later in his career. And he did, yes. He's just been the staple of the Dolphins, and I am a person with sports who I prefer reunion stories. I prefer guys to stay with one team for their entire career. I become attached to those players at those locations. Uh, I prefer the Michael Jordan types to the LeBron James types. I like a guy who is loyal to a fan base, loyal to a city, and I've really appreciated uh, Terrell Suggs and Cam Wake doing what they did for their communities and for their teams for a long, long time. Agreed. And that's not a knock at all on Terrell Suggs or Cameron Wake. Sometimes the market just says what it does and you can't help it. You got to move on to where you're, where you're going because sometimes the team says, no, we're done with you and we're going to move on. And you just don't quite feel that you're done yet. You want a couple more years to make your mark on the NFL. Much like Emmett Smith did when he left Dallas and eventually went to Arizona. He, he played for, I think it was two or three years in Arizona before he eventually hung up his cleats and said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, no knock at all on Suggs and Wake. They made the right decision for them. They want to keep playing in the NFL. They're not quite done yet. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if another team says that you got a little bit of mileage left in you, go for it. Absolutely. 
but I I completely agree that I prefer the Michael Jordan types to the LeBron James types where you're just moving around wherever the money goes and that's that's all your concern. You're following the paycheck because or you're following the championship because you don't think you can do it on your own. All right, so you had brought up Jordan Howard earlier and Jordan Howard seems like He's going to be on the move. He's going to be playing on a different team next year. Absolutely. And something that confirms that in my mind is the Bears signing Mike Davis. They are already bringing in a guy to replace Jordan Howard. He will play the Jordan Howard role. That is Mike Davis. And To a lesser extent, I would say. To a lesser extent. Jordan Howard is definitely more talented than Mike Davis. Yes. Uh but nonetheless, it looks like the Bears are positioning themselves to move on. Well, I would say uh, you're absolutely right that Jordan Howard is on the move. They've made that very clear that he is on the market. They're just waiting for the right decision and whoever's going to pay the most. Now, I'm not quite sure who's going to pay the most. I mean, I know who I would say is going to pay the most, but I don't think they're going to actually pull the trigger. I mean, this guy could fall to any team and be formidable. He could fall to the Falcons. He could fall to the Patriots. They, I mean, he could f- fall to the Chiefs. Who knows where this guy is going? I mean, Matt Nagy and the Kansas City Chiefs are pretty closely linked, but I, I'm not quite sure where he's going. I mean, do you have any uh, opinions on that? I mean, if you were an NFL GM of any team in the NFL, where are you picking up Jordan Howard. The guy's been a thousand yard rusher the past two seasons. The Buffalo Bills. They need a younger <laughs> running back. They need someone to do the job. But the Buffalo Bills just signed Frank Gore and you already have LaShawn McCoy. No. Another option would be Tampa Bay. See, Tampa Bay makes a lot of sense. Under Bruce Arians, Jordan Howard could thrive. Absolutely. That's that's a pick that I would completely get behind. The Indianapolis Colts? See, maybe, yes. But I'm, I'm not sure that, considering that Jordan Howard is up for a trade, I don't know what his market's going to be. So I'm not sure that the Indianapolis Colts are ready to give up their draft capital for a guy like that. I mean, maybe Jordan Howard goes for a fifth-round pick. If he does, you pull that trigger 100%. But if they're asking for like a second, I'm not spending a second round pick on Jordan Howard. Oh, no. And so we talked about the Chiefs losing everyone, including Eric Berry. They cut Eric Berry. Nine uh, Nine years he's been there. Nine years. They instead signed Honey Badger. Badger, yes. I have no idea what the Chiefs are doing. They release a safety and pick up a safety. Uh, maybe they looked at how their statistics have been the past couple of years on defense and they decided it was a way to go a different direction. I'm not quite sure that Tyron Matthew solves all of your problems on the Kansas City's defensive front. So it, uh, Tyron Matthew to me seems like the kind of guy who's a run stuffer. He's, he's very intense. He gets up in your face and he's going he's gonna to take down the quarterback. He's going to take down the running back. He's going to take anybody that checks it down. 
Eric Berry smells to me like the guy who's going to play back. He's going to intercept the ball. He's going to knock the ball away. So it seems like you would have had that perfect combination of a strong safety, going to help in the running game, and a free safety in the back end. But, I mean, maybe they just decided that we're paying too much money for a guy that can't stay on the field. I mean, the guy has had an ACL tear. He's torn his Achilles. He battled back from lymphoma. Maybe this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. But if I'm a team out there, I'm I'm definitely considering pulling the trigger on an Eric Berry uh, pickup. Maybe the Broncos? Duh. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So speaking of teams and weird moves, the Indianapolis Colts spent $13 million over one year for Devin Funches. Right now, once again, we are on the 13th. The Indianapolis Colts have $92 million in cap space still. So far, their biggest signing is Devin Funches. See, and the signing of Denford Funches sounds f- Funches crazy because <laughs> could they not have just spent that money on Tyrell Williams? $13 million a year? I mean, that's more than what the Raiders gave him. So I, I'm not sure where the Indianapolis Colts are thinking of. It, it, it maybe, and this is just a, a, a backdoor thinking, but the Indianapolis Colts have got to be thinking that they're wanting to save their money for when these younger guys come up for free agency. Like, for example, they just re-signed their defensive tackle, Hunt, who played very well the past couple of years. Maybe they're already thinking ahead of, hey, we got to keep T.Y. Hilton. We got to keep Marlon Mack around. Maybe we got to keep Eric Ebron around. Maybe we got to keep, they just re-signed Pierre Desir today. But another one is the guy they drafted, what was it, last year or the year before? Malik Hooker. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're wanting to save all of this cap space for re-signings and contract extensions, but... They haven't made any big moves. I mean, this is a team that made it to the wild card last year and made it in the division round. You haven't. They started out with a hundred and what, hundred and three million dollars in cap space, and you've signed one guy. You've re-signed two. Congratulations, absolutely. But you've re-signed. You've signed Devin Funches, a guy who wasn't even the best wide receiver on the board. So I don't know what you're thinking. But I'm hoping that Frank Reich has the ideas going on in his head. And I thought that the Colts were saving all their money for a Le'Veon Bell move that did not happen. Or maybe all that money on an Antonio Brown move that did not happen. So I don't know what the Colts are holding out for. I will say this about the Colts. I get it. I am in the minority of pundits who have this view, this perspective, this take that I thought Darius Leonard was the best defensive player in the NFL last year. I completely agree. The guy smells exactly like Patrick Willis when he first came into the year and and uh, finished the season in week 17 with 26 tackles. Darius Leonard is that guy who is going to instill fear on on the offensive side of the ball but he's not just a tackler 
the guy is exceptional in coverage on tight ends. The guy can call plays. He's a strong leader in the locker room. He's a guy you want to keep around for many, 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 many years. So I, I wish he was playing for the Broncos, but unfortunately he's playing for a different horse in Indianapolis. So uh, that's that's how well, it's going. Well, all Colts grow up to be Broncos, so maybe. Well, hopefully they don't join the Broncos when they're 35 years old like Peyton Manning. Once again, the greatest offense in history and Super Bowl 50. Yeah, but you said that in two different breaths of the greatest offense, who lost to the Seattle Seahawks, and Super Bowl 50, where Peyton Manning was having the worst year of his career. We don't talk about Super Super Bowl 48 around here. Oh, oh, uh, well, just kick me out of the room. All right, so in football, on the offensive side of the ball, one of the most underrated positions that is one of the most important on any team is a team center. They're making a lot of calls pre-snap. They are pointing out the coverage, uh, they are pointing out the blitzer, and they get a quarterback shoving their knuckle up their bum every single play. Bad. It just seems bad. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I would want a lot of money if that was happening every play. <laughs> so, but I so, see where you're going with this. Anyway, so there were two elite centers on the market this year. Mitch Morse from Kansas City, who left, another Kansas City guy who took off, and he got signed by the Buffalo Bills. Yep. And then I was very sad to see Matt Paradis, one of the, if not the best center in football over the last few years, leaving the Denver Broncos for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, he signed, what was it, a $27 million deal, nine years per, um, for Carolina. It's looking like it's it's a good move for him. I mean, he's going to make a lot of money, but I definitely miss him for the Broncos side considering he was the one consistent guy you could count on on the offensive line. Luckily, they just picked up Juwan James at right tackle. Hopefully, Garrett Bowles improves under Mike Munchak, but there's going to be a lot of holes that are created on not only Denver's offensive line, but Kansas City's offensive line. I mean, what are they going to do without Mitch Morsey? So it's it's looking a little bleak on that those offensive lines there for the AFC West. Yeah. And so let's talk about James from the Denver Broncos. All right. So uh, Juwan James, uh, as you just mentioned, he just signed with the Denver Broncos. Uh, looks like he's going to be playing right tackle um, opposite Garrett Bowles. And $51 million. That's a lot of money to spend on the offensive line. It kind of makes sense how they didn't have enough money to match Carolina for Matt Paradis. But it it does make me a little bit nervous. I mean, he's 27 years old. He's had some injuries in the past. And uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that this signing doesn't turn out like Ronald Leary when they picked him up from Dallas, where uh, he's he's been you know, on injured reserve for the past couple of years. So, I mean, what do you think about Juwan James? Is this, is this the right move? Has Denver improved their offensive line? And so he is the highest paid player in the NFL at right tackle. You're making quite the investment at that particular position, and you're hoping that Garrett Bowles will improve under Mike Munchak at left tackle. You now don't have a center anymore. And so you've shored up the edges, and I just hope that he plays at the level that his contract 
is now requiring he better be a pro bowler every single year that he is under contract with that amount of money. See, I would agree, and uh, this def this uh, this spells a lot of good news for Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman at the very most. I mean, obviously Joe Flacco is is hoping that Juwan James and Garrett Bowles keep him safe, but if you're spending this kind of money on the offensive line, I mean, it has to be it has to be proof in the pudding that the running backs in Denver are are going to be formidable this year. Well, yeah, I would hope that Philip Lindsay looks like a pro bowler once again. My hope with him as well is that he'll catch more balls out of the backfield this year. Well, and hopefully this uh, new Broncos coaching staff stops running him up the middle. What were you thinking, Vance Joseph, last year in putting an 185-pound running back rushing up the middle between the tackles 10 times a game. Well, that could be a name of a podcast in and of itself is what were you thinking, Vance Joseph? Well, I would imagine he's thinking now it's it's so good to be out of Denver. In Carolina where you're not looking all that good right now. <laughs> so the other move that the Denver Broncos made essentially looks like a trait. Uh, Kareem Jackson comes from Houston to Denver and former Bronco... Bradley Roby goes from Denver to Houston. All right, so who made the better signing? And what does Kareem Jackson look like as a Bronco? Is he a cornerback or a safety? For that question right there is why I can't give an honest assessment of this. On the face of it, I would imagine that Houston has actually made the better move because they're getting a guy that's a lot younger. However, experience is helps so much and we saw how well Chris Harris played when he had Aqib Tlaib playing opposite him so maybe the signing of Kareem Jackson who's a veteran player helps Chris Harris in the long term because now there's a little bit of pressure taken off him instead of him trying to be a leader to Bradley Roby but I'm not sure who wins at this I mean yes Denver gets the fact that Kareem Jackson can play versatile positions i mean maybe he's cornerback like you said maybe he's safety and fills in for darian stewart where he's gone i'm not ready to make a prediction on this because bradley roby did not live up to expectations last year the broncos got rid of akib talib and sent him to the la rams for a fifth round pick and bradley roby just did not step up he looked like a guy who is permanently destined for a slot corner position and he was trying to play something way out of his depth he got burned a number of times whether you want to insert name here it was keenan allen whether it was tyreek hill bradley roby looked distraught last year he looked in trouble oh absolutely and it made a lot of sense going into that season that bradley roby a former number well, one being first-round pick, uh, former first-round pick, elevating to be the other starter, moving on from an older player like Keep to Leave and seeing what the Broncos had in Bradley Roby, and what we found out that they had is a guy that opposing quarterbacks would target on every single play, look to see where Bradley Roby was lined up, consider every single play throwing at Bradley Roby. Because that's how much he struggled. And so Kareem Jackson 
you brought this up in that I was talking about Kareem Jackson as being a Pro Bowl snub last year, where he played well enough to be a Pro Bowler. And it was you who said, well, he was a snub because he's got terrible hands. He can't get interceptions. There's a reason why he's playing defense. Yeah, the guy over his entire career has only 16 interceptions in his career, which doesn't spell good news if you're ever trying to be a Hall of Famer or, or a multiple Pro Bowl type. However, the guy is an exceptional tackler. If you look at his stats over the previous five years, I mean, the guy is averaging roughly 79 to, you know, 89 tackles a year, which, I mean, you could make the case that maybe he's letting receivers catch too many balls and now he's just tackling the receiver. Or maybe he's just really good at making open field tackles and, and, and helping in the run game. It's, it's kind of a tomato-potato kind of uh, situation. Yeah, and if you're out there and you're a Houston Texans fan and have watched a lot of Kareem Jackson, please feel free to tweet third and manageable and tell us how Kareem Jackson is the greatest corner or defensive back that was available. Make us feel good. <clears throat> I, I, I would love to feel good because I'm not quite sure where the Denver Broncos are going in that secondary. I mean, like you said, is Kareem Jackson playing cornerback? where he's filling in for Bradley Roby, or is he playing safety and filling in for Darian Stewart? Until the Broncos make another move and fill that cornerback or safety position, I'm going to have that worry leading all the way up until training camp. And so the Baltimore Ravens have lost their entire defense, including one of the best players in the league last year, C.J. Mosley, going to... The New York Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And not only that, but they also lost Zadarius Smith going to Green Bay. So uh, I'm not quite as distraught as you are on Baltimore because they did lose some pieces. They lost Suggs, they lost Mosley, they lost Zadarius Smith. If they would have lost one more guy, they would be on a complete rebuild of their uh, linebacking core. But who did they sign today? Early in the morning, they signed Earl Thomas to a four-year deal. Hopefully, he's recovered from his, uh, I believe it was a fibula uh, fracture last year against Arizona. But also, they released Alex Collins and replaced him with Mark Ingram. So I'm curious as to what your takes are on the Baltimore situation. Well, they're definitely investing in their running game because Lamar Jackson is a runner. And so Mark Ingram hopefully will be an upgrade for them over Alex Collins, which I think Mark Ingram is. Oh, absolutely. And I actually really like Earl Thomas being from the Northwest, being forced to watch an awful lot of Seahawks games over the years. Earl Thomas is really, really good at football. And I was in Denver to see him play in person against well, Denver, as a member of the Seahawks. And, of course, he picked off Case Keenum, but once again, who hasn't? I really like that pick for him. I think that he will help stabilize a situation where they are losing a lot of talent, a lot of players. Well, I would say in the two areas where they've signed players, they've actually upgraded. I mean, they just upgraded from Eric Weddle, who was an aging vet at safety, kind of lost a step to now Earl Thomas who 
Entering the season last year, I don't think there was a single NFL analyst that would have said that there's a better coverage safety than Earl Thomas. Granted, he had that injury last year. We're hoping that he returns healthy, but he is what he is. The guy has instincts. The guy has uh, intensity. The guy has uh, a very strong, quick step when it comes to getting in front of the ball. And Mark Ingram is 100% better than Alex Collins. I mean, you would have to be an insane person just fresh out of the asylum to say that Alex Collins was a better player. So in those two signings, they've upgraded the positions, but they haven't made any moves on the offensive line, or excuse me, the the defensive linebacking core. I don't know why I said offensive line. To be fair, I was actually very surprised that considering uh, where Earl Thomas wanted to go, which was Texas, that Houston didn't make the move on Earl Thomas, considering they let go of uh, Tyron Matthew. But instead, they decided to go for somebody a little bit cheaper in uh, Tayshawn Gibson. Yeah, and I know that you are maybe a little bit more of a fan of Tayshawn Gibson than I am. I think he's a good starting caliber safety. Do you have greater aspirations for Gibson? I do because uh, during his first couple of years, he destroyed opposing quarterbacks when he was in Cleveland. He kind of slowed down a little bit in Jacksonville, but I would like to chalk that up to the fact that the defense was so good overall that he just didn't have a lot of opportunities to perform. I think Tayshawn Gibson is a very good safety and I think he's going to perform very well for Houston considering the style of play they like to go for which is rush the passer as quickly as you can make the quarterback make a bad decision and maybe your safeties can pick it off Tayshawn Gibson has a lot of interceptions he could come up big and I know before the show you were talking about the Packers and how you really like the moves that the Packers were making over the last few days. Go into that a little bit. We got Zadarius Smith, we got Preston Smith, we got Adrian Amos. Well, all of those names that you just said are very good moves. I mean, two of those guys are strongly going to help them on the pass rushing situation. Which, if you're talking about the NFC North, that's the kind of defense that you need. You need two strong pass rushers that can go after Matthew Stafford, Mitchell Trubisky, and Kirk Cousins. None of those three teams have exceptional rushing attacks. So you don't necessarily need the best middle linebackers. What you do need is the best outside linebackers to go around the outside and just wreak havoc on whoever is trying to drop five steps and pass it deep. Which is something that, uh, if you notice, Chicago exceeded well in when they were trying to go against Kirk Cousins. In both those games where Chicago played uh, Minnesota, Kirk Cousins looked very bad. So Green Bay, they've changed their coaching staff. They're trying to look a little bit better on the defensive side with Preston Smith, with Zadarius Smith. Not only that, but as I said before the show, Adrian Amos is a brilliant move because not only are you adding an exceptional safety for your coverage team, but you're stealing it from a division rival. That's brilliant. Now, what I would not agree with is 
the signing of Billy Turner from the Denver Broncos. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about Billy Turner for a little What bit. are you thinking about, Ted Thompson, general manager of the Green Bay Packers? That doesn't make any sense. You're talking about a guy who's been a career backup for so long that he can't remember his college starting days. And you just signed him to, what was it, a three-year deal? Four years. Four-year deal. $28 million. With $11 million in the first year. That's a bunch of nonsense. You've got to be thinking things through. I loved it because they saved John Elway from himself. They made sure that Elway wasn't going to sign Billy Turner, which I was thankful for. Look, maybe, maybe Billy Turner turns into a Darren Kalidge. Maybe Billy Turner turns into a Josh Sighton, where the Green Bay Packers take a little-known name and turn him into a very strong player. But I just don't see it. Why are you spending that much money on a maybe? You just did three exceptional signings to improve your defensive side, but now you're going to make a random maybe sign when think of the other offensive tackles that were on the board at that point, Darren Williams, with uh, offensive tackle from the Carolina Panthers, was on the market. Why are you not in the in the conversation with that guy? You just spent seven million dollars per year on Billy Turner, and Darren Williams signed for what? Barely over nine million dollars. Why couldn't you spend the extra $2 million and get a guy who's a Pro Bowl offensive tackle to protect Aaron Rodgers, who, I mean, kind of has some injury issues. And when Aaron Rodgers goes down, you don't really have anybody playing. I mean, who, who, who are you going to put in? Deshaun Kaiser? Is he going to lead you to a division title? Is he going to lead you to a Super Bowl? I don't think so. So we talked about pretty much every other team in the AFC West except for the um, former San Diego Chargers, current LA Chargers in Inglewood, the Inglewood Chargers. Speaking of reunions and divorces, the Carolina Panthers all-time leading tackler Thomas Davis became a member of those Chargers. Yeah, I'm... I, I don't know what to think of this. Maybe this is a move to improve Denzel Perryman, who they re-signed. Maybe they bring in a veteran to finish t- coaching him up. But then again, why are you re-signing a guy that needs coaching up? So I, I, I'm not sure what the, the San Diego, Los Angeles, whatever the hell chargers they are. It doesn't quite make sense to me. So... I did see that they signed Tyrod Taylor to a two-year deal. Mm. However, they also let Tyro Williams escape from them. So I don't know what they're doing on the defensive side, but I pose a question to you. Is Tyro Williams leaving Los Angeles a good move for the Chargers because maybe now they can insert Mike Williams into more of that position? Well, that's absolutely what's going on. This is a move to clear playing time for Mike Williams. You draft him in the first round, you draft him high in the first round, and he really hasn't gotten a lot of tick over the last couple of years. So it's time to see what Mike Williams has in store. Now, as a Denver Broncos fan, I hope that the LA Chargers do not do well and that they regret this decision. However, 
I think that this is the right decision for them to make. If I am being objective, which I try to be every once in a while. Every once in a while. <laughs> right. So we talked about Mike, in- or Mike Ingram, Mark Ingram. He was replaced in New Orleans with Latavius Murray, who had been with the Vikings for the last couple ah. of years. Oakland before that. The Tay Train. So is this a good move for New Orleans? You know, I'm not quite sure that it really matters. I mean, Latavius Murray, Mike, Mark Ingram, they kind of play the exact same position. They're veteran players that can that can plode through the line. I'm not quite sure that Latavius Murray has as much strength as Mark Ingram, but at the same time, I, I think they got Latavius Murray for a little bit cheaper than what they would have spent on Mark Ingram had they tried to re-sign him. Um, and regardless, the, the backfield runs through Alvin Kamara. That that that's that's one uh, indisputable. So, and besides, the entire offense runs through Drew Brees. He only hands the ball off when his arm gets a little bit sore and he decides to you know give himself a rest. So, as far as getting rid of Mark Ingram, I. I'm not concerned about New Orleans at all. I think Latavius Murray is going to help him in the goal line situations. He's going to help whenever it's like a third and one, a fourth and one. But it, the the offense is Drew Brees. Anybody that thinks otherwise is absolutely crazy. And as we're covering a lot of these free agents, running low on time, so let's tackle one of the biggest ones. Le'Veon Bell signs... With the New York Jets. Le'Veon Bell with the New York Jets. Okay. So he had the option of winning games with the Pittsburgh Steelers or making money with the New York Jets, and he wanted to go with the Jets. Not so fast, Shem Hanks. All right. So Pittsburgh, if you look at the records here, Pittsburgh franchised... Le'Veon Bell for $14 million last year. 14 and change if you want to get specific. However, they also offered him back then, a year ago, a three-year deal for $40-plus million. Now, I, I didn't do so well in college math uh, when I was in school. But $14 million plus 40-plus million is 50-plus million. And what did Le'Veon Bell just sign for? It was something like four years, $52 million? So you're telling me a guy sat for the entire year to sign for less money than he would have made with a better team? What are you... This this doesn't make any sense. What were you thinking? I mean, yes, you got to protect your body. Yes, you avoided a potential Achilles injury or an ACL injury. Congratulations. But in the long run, you actually made less money, and now you're playing for a crap team. Anybody that believes the New York Jets are going to win the division or even make the playoffs next year, despite all of these moves that they've made, is laughable. I will laugh in your face if you think that Le'Veon Bell is going to leave Sam Darnold 
and Roby Anderson and Jermaine Kirsch to and the Jamison Crowder. Oh, Jamison Crowder! Don't don't forget about Jamison Crowder. They're not going anywhere. They're going to finish third, maybe second at best in the division, and that that that's all it's going to be. Maybe they get a wild card consideration. Maybe you see your team on the bubble in the hunt of the playoff race, but you're not going anywhere. By the time Le'Veon Bell is aged and and out of the system, Sam Darnold is finally going to be coming into his own and ready to lead the team for a Super Bowl run or a playoff run or a division run. Or maybe Tom Brady's dead. Who knows? Maybe the division is crazy by then. But Le'Veon Bell is not a part of your long-term plans. And like I said before... Le'Veon Bell made a wrong decision because he's making less money for a worse team. And the Jets, by the time they're relevant, he's not on the team. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so that that's pretty much sums it up. That's the Le'Veon Bell experience. <laughs> so what's interesting to think about is what he looks like in fantasy going into next year. Is he a top five running back still in fantasy? Well, he's definitely going to be drafted that way. I'm not sure if he's going to live up to his expectations because this smells a lot like... Do you remember, what was it, eight years ago? Remember when Chris Johnson ran for 2,000 yards in a season? Uh, CJ2K. Yeah, and the very next year he said he was going to rush for actually 2,500 yards, except it was all-purpose yards. I'm going to have 2,500 all-purpose yards, and he didn't even come close. This is what that kind of smells like to me. I'm avoiding Le'Veon Bell in all fantasy leagues, unless it's a second-round pick, third-round pick. I'm not sure about this. Because if you remember correctly, Des Bryant, wide receiver, did the same exact thing that Le'Veon Bell did last year. He held out, didn't want to sign with anybody, and what did he do? Tell me what he did. He, he didn't play football. Yeah, because he he ended up having a some sort of major injury because he wasn't exactly in shape, wasn't ready. Yeah. Jumped into the game too quickly and tore his Achilles with New Orleans Saints. Yeah. So another big running back shoe to drop was Tevin Coleman going to the San Francisco 49ers, joining Jarek McKinnon and company. So is Shanahan just really trying to recreate that Atlanta structure of Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman? This time it'll be Jarek McKinnon and Tevin Coleman. Well, you're leaving out a name here, Matt Breida. Mm. So does Tevin Coleman spell the end for Matt Breida, or does it spell the end for Jarek McKinnon? Or because of their injury problems, they keep all of them. Maybe that's the goal. Maybe that's the goal as well. I mean, remember when the New York Giants had that Earth Wind Fire movement with Derek Ward, Ahmad Bradshaw, and uh, 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 Brandon Jacobs? So maybe they go for a three-winged attempt. Maybe Matt Breida is your outside runner, and McKinnon is your up the middle, and Tevin Coleman is the guy that catches passes on the outside. I'm not sure what Mike Shanahan's go or. Excuse me, Kyle Shanahan yeah, is Kyle, going. Not Mike. Kyle not Shanahan. Mike. Mike Shanahan is enjoying a beach in uh, Tahiti right now. <laughs> but uh, those three guys together, I would imagine one of them has to be gone, which you would think it's going to be Matt Breida because he's going to 
returned the most draft capital that you could get, considering Jarek McKinnon has not played a single down for you, but last year you signed him to a four-year deal. Most of that money was distributed to the front part of the contract and a lot of guaranteed money, so you could let him go easily now. But I don't see all three of these guys entering the preseason together. I could see them all entering the preseason together. I would find it difficult for all three of them to exit the preseason together. Good point, good point. And a lot of that will depend on injuries. I think ideally they want Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon to be the two running backs. I would want that. I actually value Jarek McKinnon more going forward because he's going to be a big pass catcher for him. That's the type of offense that... Kyle Shanahan is going to want to run. We've covered a lot of people, a lot of moves. Is there anyone else you want to cover? Uh, uh, if Teddy Bridgewater signs with the Dolphins, he will be the starter in Miami. Yes. See, now that's something that we haven't discussed, actually, on the on the podcast, because Teddy Bridgewater is trying to decide right now whether he's going to back up Drew Brees in New Orleans and potentially be the heir apparent to Sean Payton, Or is he going to go to Miami and compete for a starting job with Brian Flores and I assume whoever is going to be drafted in the first round by Miami? Because per multiple reports uh, by ESPN and NFL Network, Ryan Tannehill is on his way out. So uh, maybe you could predict for me where Ryan Tannehill and let's just throw in Blake Bortles. Where are these guys going to go next year? And so for both of them, I would consider who the starting quarterback is, but more what the starting quarterback's contract is. You get those guys on their rookie contract, you can pay those backups a little bit more. So you see Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. He now Mm. needs a backup. And I think Ryan Tannehill would make a lot of sense in Philly if he wanted a year to maybe rebuild some of his image uh, of being a team player, a guy that's going to come out and work hard. And listen, Carson Wentz has some injury history. He's a guy who might miss a few games in the year. And if you can prove yourself in a friendly Philadelphia offense, You're going to make some money. We saw that with Nick Foles. Now, Blake Bortles is a little bit more of a reclamation project. He he, he just, he needs some help. He needs to go somewhere where he's going to get some love. I was going to say the Patriots, but get some love in the Patriots right now probably isn't a good good thing to say. See, Bill Belichick doesn't put up with turnovers, which is why Blake Bortles is never going to work out there. And when you say the name Blake Bortles, the only thing that comes to mind is the Canadian Football League, where Johnny Manziel and J.P. Lossman are trying to make a name for themselves. <laughs> so, uh, unless your your name starts with an A of Canada, uh, I'm not sure that Blake Bortles is in the league next year. But Ryan Tannehill, I would I would agree that Philadelphia makes a lot of sense. Doug Peterson likes reclamation projects, and just he's he's a savant for quarterbacks. And in fact, if you remember correctly, Doug Peterson coached Nick Foles when he was a backup in Kansas City. 
So that's where that kind of connection came from. I'm not quite sure where Ryan Tannehill is going to go. Philly makes a lot of sense, but another name that comes to mind is what about Baltimore? Mm. What about Tennessee? Yeah, Baltimore is certainly a place that needs a backup quarterback. Uh, Tennessee, we've already mentioned before. I would disagree with you all on Blake Bortles, though. I think Blake Bortles will be a backup quarterback next year somewhere. As is everyone's favorite, Brock Osweiler. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. you got to be kidding me. That guy's still in the league. Big Brock, he's going to oh, be out there. That's just ridiculous. It, it, of course, he'll be a backup somewhere, but I mean, the guy is not a legitimate move. The Houston Texans made that mistake, and uh, it just obviously didn't work out. The, he's he's a total checkdown Charlie. He doesn't have confidence in his arm. He has no sense of pressure, and it he he just doesn't have that next gear that you like to see in a quarterback. When somebody runs up against a wall, you want to see them shift gears and not crap the bed well folks that's it for us at third and manageable podcast thank you all for tuning in thank you for listening yeah hopefully you will continue to listen uh feel free to download share click uh you can find us on twitter at third and manageable we hope to be doing a weekly podcast or we will be doing a weekly one Of course. Thank you all for tuning in. Bye. See you later. This has been a production of Values First.